Hi guys, welcome to My Steps to Sobriety, the show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. And today, I truly have got two people, two guests on my show. One is Samantha Tyrone. One is Samantha Enorit. And both of them are hiding in the same body. So it's quite a unique setting, and uh, I'm so intrigued and so interested in exploring these two people, which are gorgeous people, I promise you. So subscribe to my button, press that button down there, go for it, guys, then you don't miss any new episode. But let's stop making marketing for this beautiful very good. And rather get going with Samantha. Samantha, thank you so much for coming onto my show. I'm deeply humbled and I'm, I'm so pleased that we could make that happen and get you to come on. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited and I'm so glad that we were able to connect and, and get this ball rolling so quickly. <laughs> oh yeah um so nowadays it is samantha tyrone it uh, is yes. it is indeed right but initially when i made contact with you i was talking or i was writing to a samantha enorit now that of course uh was a, a huge clue to what we will be talking about. But let's don't just jump right into the nitty-gritty and the cool things. Let's actually wind back a few years. When you met your husband, how did you meet your husband? Um, so uh, I met Ryan... Um, I met Ryan in May of like 2016. Um, he was working at a place down the shore um, and I was on a bar crawl <laughs> and um, it was kind of one of those movie like scenarios where, you know, you just catch someone's eye and uh, uh, the whole world kind of stops. It was like that deer in the headlights look and, you know, I saw him staring at me and he saw me staring at him. It was super awkward. Um, and, you know, I was with people, so I was just doing my thing. And I um, actually asked the bartender, you know, I, I need a pen and paper. I have to leave my number for this guy. So he did. And um, right before we had left, um, I felt a hand on my shoulder and I was like ready to fight. So I was like, whoop. And uh, it was the guy that I had left my number for. And he's like, I would love to call you after work. I just want to say that, you know, you, you caught my attention and um, I, I'd love to get to know you more. So I said, okay, sure. And um, his shift ended around 10 and like 10, 10, 10, 15, he had actually called me, um, which for this day and age, I feel like is so uncommon um, because everybody's just texting and, you know, emailing and the fact that he had called me, I was like, Oh, all right. Um, you know, and things just kind of escalated from there. The next night we were at a diner, 
Um, I live in New Jersey, so everything kind of revolves around a New Jersey diner in one way or another. Um, and we had shared uh, chocolate chip pancakes. And we that's basically how our, our life together started. Um, and the rest is history, as they say, but it's quite an unique history <laughs> um to say the very least but that's that's basically how we met oh how beautiful how beautiful how romantic um <laughs> i it was very similar with my wife and me and it was one of these these uh, weird doctor nurse stories but it was actually essentially it was catching these eyes and and Suddenly feeling super awkward. Yes, you just took me straight back there. <laughs> Every time I walked onto the ward where she worked, she ran into a room to hide because she was she was not so so. Uh, she knew what was happening, but she was a bit. Oh she was always convinced I will never date a doctor. Ah, no way, no way. <laughs> so there we are. Fast forward. Da, 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 da. and so on uh, so beautiful 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 um how long did you date before you got married um well we actually um we ended up not getting married oh, I see. Um, he had he had passed away uh a few months before we were scheduled to get married um but on everything but paper we were married as far oh. as you know we were both concerned and our families were concerned um we were together for, we dated for a few months, um, and then we kind of separated. No ill will, just life got busy. Um, he had some things that he had to deal with, and um, I went to Europe for a few weeks, and then when I had come back, like, he was knee-deep in his stuff. Um, but then fast forward maybe to Thanksgiving, and he had reached out to me and we had kind of just rekindled everything. So it was only a few months that we really didn't talk. Um, and then we were together for about three years. When you said that your life got busy, what were you doing at the time? What was your profession? I was teaching in a private school. I was a pre-K teacher. Um, I was getting ready to, uh, or I was in the midst of going to grad school, getting my master's in early childhood education. I was teaching um, at multiple dance studios in the evenings. I was doing side gigs with, with a DJ. I was um, running private lessons and doing musicals in community theaters and schools. And I was just all <laughs> over the place. So, As life sometimes go, you're a very creative soul. So mm -hmm. no surprise once you see an opportunity and you see the possibilities behind that challenge, there you are. Oh, mm -hmm. so, so saying no was never a strong point of view, let me guess. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's so great because of my whole journey of like self-development and stuff. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and uh, my, my current boyfriend now is like, no is a complete sentence. You're fine. I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> Say no until your tongue bleeds. <laughs> That's literally one word in my book or one sentence in my book. 
<laughs> one recommendation, one part of an action plan. So easy to write. But that was a time when you were still burning the candle on both ends. And I'm, I'm sure you had a fantastic time there. Uh, your productions, the, the, the small scale that you that you were working in, they can be so rewarding and no doubt. So you got busy there, and when you went overseas, was that part of a production? Did you do a, a tour? No, with- I just I was just going to visit my friends. Um, they were recently relocated to Germany, um, so oh. we did Germany, France, Amsterdam, uh, Belgium, and somewhere else. We were all over the place in like two weeks, so it was Beautiful. a fantastic trip. I absolutely loved it, and uh, definitely one of the best times of my life for sure. Ah, you say all the right words. (laughs) Yes, I am German. Um, Okay, so then you came back, you rekindled uh, your passion with Ryan. Mm -hmm. And how did that continue? Very, very quickly. Um, When I tell you lightning speed, that's an understatement. And we've kind of got back together. Um, I was dating this bad match for me to say the very least. Um, when Ryan had reached out to me, so he was like, Hey, I want to get together and have lunch. I'd love to talk to you. I know you're probably with someone. So I was like, you got to go dumped the guy that I was with. And then two days later, again, we were back at a diner. Um, like no time had passed at all. And, um, he had explained to me the reason kind of why he had fallen out of touch with me. And, um, he said, you know, it was very intentional. He didn't want to drag me into all of the chaos that was ensuing around him. Um, he found out he had a son. He found out, you know, in not the greatest of ways, it was just very sudden. Um, the news, um, (laughs) you know, so, uh, You know, he thought it was, and then he was told it wasn't. So then when he found out it was, he was very like, holy crap. Um, You know, and things kind of started to take a turn for him personally um, from, you know, getting that news, of course. And um, he's like, I just didn't want to drag you into it. and, And I didn't think it was fair. And, you know, so it was at that point that he had come clean to me about his history with addiction um, the, the news about his, his little boy, um, and just all these different things. And I just, you know, I say all the time that like so many people would have just run and been like, Oh, hell no. And because he was so honest with me and because he was so forthcoming, I was really proud of him for, for only knowing him a few months. And, you know, I know enough about recovery that it's important to be honest And at that point, I had little to no experience with it at all. And I was so naive to things. I was just like, well, it's okay. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Like, let's, let's do this. So, um, from there we were together a few months, um, about six or seven months. He had moved in. We were living together. Um, before he even moved in, we were meeting parents. We had talked about getting married. Like it was just very surreal and it was something that neither one of us had ever really pictured us having for ourselves like on a separate level um we got a dog together we started looking at houses we were we planned our whole wedding ass backwards um we went 
for the food tasting and started booking venues before we were even officially engaged. Uh, like it was so just backwards. We were like, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, like we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and, and it was so much fun and it was stressful, but it was fun because it, anything around food, he was like, let's do it. You know, he was a big guy. He used to weightlift competitively. So he was all about the food and the snacks. <laughs> so, um, you know, he was all about that. So he wanted to pick stuff out and go shopping for things. And he was, he was a lot of fun during the whole thing. And then, um, you know, things kind of took a turn. He got hurt, um, at work and that's where things really started to kind of decline. Um, part of the reason why I started connecting with people like yourself was because I wanted to make people aware that they don't have to be afraid to stand up for themselves. Um, Ryan and I were in a position where his doctors were pushing pills. He had finally come clean about his history to doctors and emergency rooms and things like that. And, you know, they full well know that he was in recovery and they kind of didn't seem to care. You know, a doctor told him, if you don't pee with these in your system, then workman's comp could drop you. And his lawyer had him scared and the workman's comp, like everybody just kind of had him cornered and he didn't know what to do. And, you know, from being physically hurt and not having an outlet to then being in recovery and trying to stay alive, you know, like it was just the cards kept stacking up against him nonstop and it was just rough. Samantha, can I take you a moment back? What was his choice of poison? What, um, what what did he use prior to meeting you? What was what was in the background? Which drugs? Which was it? Alcohol? Was it? What was it? Um, from what he told me, um, in college it was more alcohol and cocaine, and then it escalated um, to heroin and Xanax, um, and it just it it esc mm -hmm. like he it escalated very quickly and. It took a lot. The heroin, how did he take it? Um, did he inject it? Or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, injected. Uh, and the needle marks would have been at times actually quite obvious, especially if you're intimate with someone. Was there a giveaway there with hindsight? Um, there was, but he had uh, both arms completely tattooed. Um, <laughs> and he did have... Um, he did have some scars that I was, that I knew about. Um, so it was kind of in the, be in the beginning, I'll say this in the beginning, it was very hard to, to, to point those out and to see those. But as we grew and as I experienced multiple relapses with him and as I began to educate myself, I mean, I knew before he even woke up what was going on. Mm. How was he when he was under the influence? Was he a, um, a nice guy, or was he was he the the happy uh, guy that he was striving to be? Um, believe it or not, he was very functional most of the time. Um, towards the end, um, and even like sort of here and there within the earlier stages of things, um, he would just be very, um, very quiet and he would nod out. Um, but he was never aggressive. He was never mean. He was never violent. 
um, any of those things. And, and one of the dead giveaways, which his friends and I kind of laugh now is, you know, so much of his life revolved around food that when he was under the influence, he wasn't eating. So I knew right off the bat, if I had food in the fridge, like we were in trouble, you know? So, but like I said, he was pretty, even on his worst days with me, he was very upbeat as much as he could be. He truly loved you. Mm-hmm. The trauma that he went through, the, did you ever work out with him what started his journey? What I, made him first get into addiction? Yeah, I mean, I I asked all kinds of questions because I had no experience. I wanted to know everything and then some. So I asked about the first time he did drugs of any kind. I asked him why and what was his mindset and all these kinds of things. And, you know, he just, as a whole, he really put a lot of pressure on himself. And, you know, he, he as an adult amounted what he was worth to what he was providing. And I know in a lot of scenarios, that's a guy thing, like you're worth what you're providing. Um, but he, he just, if he wasn't providing, if he wasn't taking care of things, then, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't doing anything. Um, but he, um, he had a really successful job, um, when the housing market crashed in 2009 and, um, you know, there were just ebbs and flows and, and like any roller coaster, you know, there's times where he could be on top of the world and still be using, but then be in the lowest place I had ever seen him and he got through it without using. So it, it, you never really knew. And I think that was probably one of the biggest takeaways from the whole experience was you don't know how they're going to, how the person you're with is going to react to anything. You know, are they going to turn to the substance or are they going to work through it? And that was, that was a roller coaster for me. Intriguing. But so real, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, I think I was more reliable. Um, when shit hits the fan, I was tempted to drink, full stop. And when, when things were good, I was tempted to drink. And in between, I was tempted to drink. That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, yeah. Ryan had 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 a far more, uh, far many more highs and far many more lows that he worked through without the drug. Interesting. Oh, how did that then continue? So you were, you were going around uh, sampling the yummy food in the various yummy places that you went to for your uh, provisional wedding planning. Mm -hmm. What happened? Um, well, escalate? even before we had decided to move forward with wedding planning, I had, um, I had found him overdosed. Um, and my best friend at the time uh, was working with a, a lot in substance recovery um, and abuse. And his best friend was working in substance recovery. And my mom was in, is still in healthcare. And she spent many years in, in recovery units in different hospitals. So I just kind of banded them all together. And I was like, what the hell do I do? 
And they were like, you got to get him in somewhere. You got to get him detox. You got to make sure he's, he's healthy. So I said, okay. So my mom worked around the clock for about a day and a half to help us get him a bed in a detox. And I said, you're either going to the detox or I'm pushing you off the balcony and I'm going to have an ambulance come and take you to the detox. So what do you want to do? And after, you know, about half a day of not giving up and and just kind of being a jerk about it, um, he decided to go. I dropped him off. He was there for about three days. Um, And that's a pivotal point for me. And I look back now and I laugh because we had gotten in the car. I picked him up. He's like, I didn't even know if you were coming or this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, I didn't want to come. You know, I wanted to send your mother (laughs) in all seriousness and, and let her rip you a new one. And, and at that time I thought that the things that I said made a difference and they made a difference to sober Ryan, but they did not make a difference or even hit the surface of his brain um, when, when he was using, you know, so I think, I think he tried really hard and I think he worked really hard, but he couldn't, he couldn't tackle the demons that had captured so much of his joy throughout so much of his life and he couldn't forgive himself. So things just continued to escalate. And I think there were maybe two or three other relapses um, that I had gone through with him once one time I dropped everything and cared for him. And the next I said, if you're going to do this, I got to go. And I spent the weekend in the city, you know? So I just, it was, it was so many different ways of handling it because I didn't know what was the right way. Um, and because it had happened multiple times, I was like, well, I guess this, this is what I'm going to do this time. And, and, you know, never, never in a million years did I ever think I would be in the situation that I was in. And I just, I look back to that first breakfast after we had gotten back together and he's like, I didn't want to drag you down with me. And, and I think like reflecting on that, he always knew that he was going to struggle. And I mean, the, the worst thing someone you love could tell you is that, you know, when you're trying to work out all your bills and your finances and your debts and things, and they look at you and they're like, I never thought I'd even see 35, let alone 42 you know, so, so that's kind of where his mind was versus where my mind was. Around about that time, how much was a shot of heroin worth? How much money did he blow? Um, to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, I, I, I had kind of gotten to the point where I said, I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it, but like, let's pay our bills first. <laughs> like, because I kind of, was just at a loss and I was like, if, like, I know that sounds so horrible, but I was just kind of so beaten up at that point that I was like, if you're going to do this, like pay the rent first with me, like help me out. And, you know, I, I feel like I was such a bitch for saying that. I don't know if, I don't know if I could say that. <laughs> um, okay. uh, I, I felt so horrible for saying it, but then at the same time, I was like, I have to set some kind of boundaries for myself or I'm going to lose my mind, 
you know, and, and as things progressed and, and I thought, you know, planning the wedding would help him move forward. I thought talking about kids and looking at houses and all those things would kind of fuel that fire. And in the beginning, it totally did. It absolutely did. And like I said, that accident, the accident is hands down what killed him because they were pushing pills. He was, he was being taunted, you know, with emergency room visits and, you know, God, the universe tested him many times when he was with so me. So let's, he- let's talk about that because obviously it, I sense that there is a bit of a, of a bitter taste there in your mouth when it comes to, to this, to the, to the medical side of the support that he received. What accident was it, may I ask? Um, he worked with a solar company um, and he had fallen off a roof um, and he had roughly 11 herniated discs in his neck and spine. Um, he was in excruciating pain for eight months, I think, when all was said and done. Um, and um, you know, they just passed him around and, and didn't care for him appropriately. And I mean, I know that we had a lot of conversations about how people drain the system um, of workman's comp and, and how they're like, oh, my pinky toe hurts. I can't go back to work. Like, I'm talking about a man who was like in a back brace begging them to like let him go on do desk duty or something. Like, he just wanted to work. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I've never seen anyone begging doctors and attorneys and things to just be like, whatever I have to do to go back to work, just please send me back to work. Because, you know, he, we were working on paying for a wedding and and getting things adjusted and, you know, fixing the things from his past and, and buying a house. So he wanted to work, you know, and he loved what he did. He loved working with his hands. He loved being on the job site, you know, he loved it. And, uh, he, I think a piece of him died before he did when they told him that he would not be able to be even remotely close to where he was before he got hurt. I mean, I watched when he got that phone call, I watched the color drain from his face. He immediately saw no dancing at his own wedding. He couldn't play with his kids. He couldn't like, I know where his mind went because he, he, we talked about it, you know? So he immediately, um, I would say probably the last five or so weeks of him being with us was torture. You know, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't handle that and he couldn't handle, I think a great deal of it was doing it to me, but I think also an even bigger part of it was not being able to do for his kids. And I think that just ate away at him. But the doctors, the doctors were awful and I lost my mind on them. And um, it, it broke my heart and it really opened my eyes to how common it is and, and how many people become addicted to drugs because of doctors and because and go ahead go ahead no. um, the uh, after all i'm a bloody doctor number one number two is i was in the past i was a pain physician so i'm intrigued uh that you say they were pushing tablets uh the when 
to as doctors what we always try to do is we try to figure out is there an underlying cause and what can we do about the cause and if he has had multiple problems in the spine then the doctors might have said wow this is we can't just rip out the whole spine and put a new one in so i assume at this point that operation was not an option and that uh, the normal management of of pain and discomfort and quality of life then came into the forefront and was needed. Mm -hmm. Normally then when you break things down, you have sort of the non-pharmacological means and the pharmacological means. So non-pharmacological means the physiotherapy, the braces, the uh, osteopathy, readjustments, things like that. And then you have got drugs, which are starting from simple paracetamol to the anti-inflammatories to the milder tramadol things to then morphine, methadone, and stronger drugs. His pain was obviously still there. So whatever drugs he had received were not working. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And which was he from the word go given stronger pain medications, uh, the opiates, the, the, the morphines, the whatever it is? Well, initially he had said he didn't want anything. Hmm. He's like, I just won't take anything. And I'm like, okay, um, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> You know, so he uh, he did the he did the brace things, and and prior to the fall, he had two surgeries. Like I had mentioned earlier, he was a competitive weightlifter, so he had shoulder and hip surgery um, prior to this. And one surgery he had a relapse with, and one surgery he didn't. So it was kind of just dependent upon what the day. Um, but um, with this, he. He was told by some people that he qualified for surgery, and then he told he was told that he didn't qualify, and then he had to do this, this, and this in order to qualify, but he couldn't do those things without this test, and then this test got denied, and this, that. It was just this nightmare, and finally I had said to my mom, there's got to be non-narcotic options. I, I mean, there's too many things in the world for there to not be any, and with him filling out this documentation, with a history and I know because I filled out some of the forms because he sat there in so much pain and I'm asking questions and, you know, and I finally said to the doctor, I said, you know, this isn't working and he's got a history. These are the things I found that are non-narcotic and we want to try all of them. And it wasn't until we stepped in and kind of took the reins where they even offered that. And that pissed me off more than anything because you have this young guy. I mean, he was 40, 41 when all of this went down, who was in great health. He had a healthy weight. He weightlifted. He was very active. And, you know, you're, you're telling him he's never going to have this mobility again. You know, so, so my, my issues go so, so deep with literally everybody who looked at him, you know, from, well, we're going to do this. Well, why? Like, he's literally asking you for lower doses of things and you're trying to beef them up. You know, like it just, it, it 
it made me so sad to know how many other people are going through this and felt like they were up against a wall. And, you know, I mean, I'll never forget, we were in the doctor's office and Ryan was clean. He was taking things as prescribed. He was like, here, please just hang on to these, like take them for the day at work. I don't want to have them in the house. I'm like, okay. Um, and then his pain got so bad, he couldn't go to the bathroom. So we were in the doctor's office and he was crying in the bathroom. And I was like, babe, what's wrong? And he's like, I just can't pee. He's like, but I don't want you to think that I'm using, that I'm not peeing in the cup because I was crazy. Like when I tell you, I took the bathroom door off the hinges. I put a tracker on our car, on his car for the car insurance. I got a pet cam. Like I was psycho. Like now I look back and I'm like, oh, I was crazy. But in the moment I was like, no, this totally makes sense. You know, so he knew where my head was immediately going to go before it got there. And, you know, he was just so upset. And I said, listen, this is a shit situation. Tell the doctor the issue and like, let's just, maybe he can do blood work or maybe he can, you know, do something else. It was just, it was a nightmare. And I hate that there are doctors out there that do this. And I, I did file all complaints against all the doctors that were involved. I mean, we weren't married, so I couldn't do anything more than just file those complaints on his behalf. Um, you know, and I know there's doctors out there that go above and beyond for those in recovery, you know, who, who make sure that they're above board, who, you know, really just take care and, and above all things, like they're, their, their clean time is, is the most important. And I just wish there were more doctors like that because it's so hard to watch someone you love be told you have to take drugs. At the same token, no, no, not at the same token. Yes, I agree. I was not there. I, I was not able to assess him. So Therefore, yes, what you say is, is, is what it was. But I guess what shines through those sentences is the frustration and the pain for you to be powerless, to see there, to see him crying, to know that you love the man, you're willing to marry him, and... If I saw my wife crying, I would rip another man's heart out without a second thought mm -hmm. if I thought that he was directly responsible for hurting my wife. That would be my initial gut reaction. Luckily, I've got a frontal lobe that nowadays works. So... I am no longer that kind of hothead. Yet, I know exactly how you felt. And uh, my, my, my thoughts are going out to you in this moment. Leave alone for Ryan. That is, that's a completely different story. But you were there for him and you were fighting for him. And it was such a hard battle because you were going against insurance companies, against medical... Uh, medical systems that required one test after the other and then money is not growing on trees. So I think what 
I don't know the American system, but certainly here in New Zealand, we don't have all the money that we want. Therefore, the healthcare system is at times a bitch because they are shifting the goalposts. So right. to get to get a joint replacement nowadays, well, two, three years ago, there were times that you had physically not being able to get out of bed. If you could somehow get from the bed to the toilet, you no, no, you don't need that joint replaced. You know, it's it's all good. Obviously you can you can live and all that kind of shit. So and that is just because there was no money for joint replacements. So they shifted just the goals to make it so hard to get this joint replacement that therefore not as many, not as much money had to be paid. Um, so these are the, the, the things that happen within systems where people feel the financial pressures and therefore then find creative accounting ways to make sure that no way will this patient get his operation, regardless if he needs it or not. So that's just the financial side. But sometimes uh, working with a spine surgeon and having done a, a chronic pain medicine in the past, it is sometimes very difficult to say, is it right to operate on someone or is it actually making things worse? There are spines which you look at the, the MRI and you think, oh my God, where the hell do we start? And this might have been a case which was like that, which explains why some doctors who maybe are a bit more gung-ho and love the knife say, oh, yeah, sure, we're going to operate in that. We're going to put a rod from his brain down to his ass, and that's it, and it's going to be all fixed. And then there are others who are saying, you've got to be joking. So it is, that might have been the, the flip side. And I just wanna, want to share with the viewers and the listeners what, what some of the aspects maybe were that impacted on Ryan's journey from a medical side? I definitely think that, you know, there was obviously a lot of risk and they talked to us um, a great deal about some of the risk, but it was, um, it was one of those things where you may not be able to get the mobility, but at least you won't be in pain. And that was kind of the middle ground where we were at. And he knew he couldn't keep living like the way he was living, you know, so he was willing to just not be in pain, Brilliant. you know, yeah. and, and, and that was kind of, if, if, listen, if the doctors had said to me, this is, this is um, a matter of one wrong thing going wrong and then it could be it. Like we would have seriously considered, you know, other options, but we had two or three different options on the table we had done all of the injections that they had prescribed and, and all of that. And, you know, they were saying, and, and this is where it goes so much deeper and where my frustration and like F you comes in is all his medical records were wrong. They said in the medical records that, um, you know, he had this amount, this high level of pain relief for this extended period of time where, you know, he kept a journal that said, you know, the pain came back after 60 hours or 48 hours or, you know, whatever it was, because my mom was like, document it, keep track so that when you go back to the doctors, you know, you can say, hey, listen, these days I felt good. What did we do close to this? Or, you know, like trying to keep an activity log and things like that so that you can go back to the doctors with 
legitimate things and legitimate questions and concerns, you know, so, so the, the whole thing was just such a mess. And I just think, you know, now I look back on it and think it's the way it was supposed to happen so that, you know, you and I could have this conversation and make people more aware and, you know, make doctors open up their eyes and say, you know, maybe we could do a little bit more here or there to, to help this guy. Well, and, and again, again, this is such an important feedback because sometimes doctors are caught up in their own world and they're so overwhelmed with numbers, pressures, their own lives might be in status that they do not, that they have forgotten how to be empathetic, that they have forgotten how to, to give a damn because they're, they're a step away from their own burnout. That certainly will not have improved now with COVID and with another financial crisis hitting us. So things will not get better, they will get worse. Therefore, it is so important that we talk about it and that we bring your story out to light so that others can learn from it and can draw the right conclusions to seek the help and to not stop asking the right questions. And that is so, so, so important. Samantha, at one stage you were fighting so hard and you were there for Ryan and Ryan and you battled. But very soon things deteriorated. I think it was mm -hmm. a, a period of, of a few weeks, yes. a few months basically. Do you think that his final overdose, that this was a mistake? Or do you think this was him taking an option out? It depends on the day. Um, some days I think he went in with intention. Um, some days I think it was accidental. Sometimes I don't even think it was his fault. Um, the very long and short of it is that he went missing. Um, I came home from work and was under the assumption that he was using, but it had seemed better that day than it did the day before. So I thought, okay, maybe he's just trying to get a handle on it. I didn't want to push the issue, just kind of keep a close eye and monitor things. I had, you know, given it a few heads up um, to some people in my network and uh, I left to go to work. I called about dinner and he didn't answer. So I texted him. I didn't answer. Uh, I didn't get an answer. And then I just started coming home after work and I called my mom about five minutes away from being home. And I said, I think you got to come down here. And I was living in Madawan at the time. Um, and uh, down by the beach and my mom was there and I said, he's not here. And we filed a missing persons case. Um, I talked to the cops. I was like, listen, I just need him here so we can get him help. 
you know, and, and that was the biggest thing, just finding him. Um, we had gone down the shore to look, um, you know, thinking maybe he just got kind of nostalgic, was looking to just clear his head. That's what he would do sometimes. So I was trying to think like that. Um, and then ultimately, uh, a few days after looking for him, we had found him in a not so great part of the state. Um, I found his car and I basically, God bless my parents. They, they waited with me and looked with me and his friends and my best friend and his parents. And, um, you know, I had said it in, in another interview that I had done, you know, I sat outside of this house where his car was parked and I felt like after the fact, you know, when we realized that's where he was, that, you know, he was waiting for me to go in and I was waiting for him to come out. And, and that sucks, you know, I mean, finding the car, how I found it and, and having some interactions with other people who were there, I think it wasn't intentional. But then looking at, you know, how he left the house, the check came early, the, he took the GPS thing that I put in his car out of his car. Like there were certain things that looked so intentional and then there were certain things that looked like a mistake. And only one person knows the, the true, the true answer to that. Um, you know, I lost a lot of sleep and, and a lot of stress went into trying to figure out the right answer. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It just matters that, you know, someone else's life could be saved and someone else could get help. And, you know, another fiance, another mother, another best friend, um, you know, it, it could be prevented and not prevented because we could be on them or not prevented be, or, you know, we don't, ha we have no control over the addiction itself, but we have control over the ways that we handle it. Um, the way that we support, the way that we educate ourselves, the way that we educate others, um, the, the nasty negative stigma around addiction. Um, you know, those are the things that we have control over where, you know, we can look at it more as these people need help and these people need care, not these are bad people because I, no matter what Ryan did in all of his years, um, he was the happiest, most fun, most lovable, warm, give you the shirt off his back type of guy. And even on his worst days that shown through. Um, so it has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with education. Um, Ryan was one of the smartest people I'd ever met. It has nothing to do with all of the things that people look down upon. Um, it's really just a matter of love and support. And we both gave each other something that we would have never had otherwise. Um, and we both had a beautiful experience, even the worst parts of it, because now, you know, I'm able to do things like this and, and help others and spread awareness and connect with, with other people who are, are in similar situations. And I think that is the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that, you know, unfortunately without, such darkness, you don't really get to have any light. And I think Ryan had a lot of light in his life 
but it was always just overshadowed by the darkness. When did Ryan die? Um, he passed away November 2nd, uh, 2019. 2018. 18. Yeah, 18. So a year and a half, sort of coming up to two years soon. Mm -hmm. You alluded to the fact that you've done a lot of soul searching and initially this would have been a, a brutal journey for yourself, no doubt. But nowadays you are focusing on helping others. And in a moment I want to come to that. What we haven't yet touched upon at all was the Samantha Engerit. <laughs> um well so she obviously was, there's more there's more to that side of the story isn't it um yeah i mean it was more so just i wanted to avoid uh certain people seeking me out um from his past i just didn't want any drama i didn't you know i was dealing with so much and and his family and and our friends were we're handling so much. I just didn't want to take on anything else that I wasn't ready for. So I had switched my name and made it backwards. And, you know, I, someone or pe many people may have tried to contact me and they just couldn't put two and two together. So they didn't, um, I probably could have left it, but, uh, for a while I had changed my last name on Facebook to his. And then I was like, that tortured me. So then I just flipped my, my last name backwards and that kind of helped. But because I had, um, because I had made the profile change so many times within a certain amount of time, Facebook was like, no, you're not allowed. Um, and then I had to scan my ID for them to, uh, accept it. But my ID photo is so horrendous that they're like, this isn't you. And I think it's so funny now kind of looking back on it, like when that photo was taken versus me now, I'm like, that's so not me. Um, you know, so it's just, it's so much transformation and, you know, maybe, maybe it's left backwards for a reason. I don't know. Maybe some crazies out there still trying to get in touch with me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Was there an issue that, that Ryan was owing money? for his drugs? Was that a concern? No, it was more of just negative people from the past. Um, it had nothing to do with money. It was more of, I mean, it was more of just exes and, uh, you know, um, people from his family and family history that, you know, were never, never looking out for him, um, that I didn't want them to come into the picture and start being like, well, don't bother me, you know? So I just, I wanted to avoid any of that. Um, I, I, you know, we had a wedding website, we had all different kinds of things on, on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. So I just, I knew that someone knew who I was and I just didn't want to deal with it. So I tried to avoid it like the plague. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. And you went into this self-protection mode there, which Absolutely. makes, yeah, and, and, and that's so natural. 
That's so natural. You you gave everything to Ryan. You fought so hard, and now suddenly life came to a crashing hold. At least the life that you knew, the mm-hmm. life that you had planned, the life that you dreamed about, suddenly crash. That's it. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a very normal normal reaction what you went through but then something changed then something suddenly made you realize that enough of the not hiding away that's negative enough mm-hmm. of samantha enerit mm-hmm. it is time to bring out samantha tyrone and start helping others what made that switch? Um, two things, I think. Um, one, socially and publicly, was uh, there was a doctor who got nabbed for pill pushing. And there were many, many cases built against them. Um, so once that came out, a friend of mine who experienced something on a similar spectrum had sent me the article. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I shared the article on social media with a little bit of my story with Ryan. And I had a few people reach out to me and be like, thank you for sharing. I'm in a similar boat. Um, Whether it was on Ryan's side or my side, they were dealing with something similar. So I had kind of said like, all right, well, maybe I don't have to like hide so much of the history and you know, people were asking questions like what happened? And and I said, you know, I did this big post about morbid curiosity. Like, why does it matter? My life is upheaved. Why does it matter what happened? Just say sorry and move on. Like, I don't understand. So it was me being defensive too. Um, so that was the first thing. And then I woke up one day, I, I had moved out of the apartment that we had lived in together. I had moved into a new apartment and I basically was just like, I don't want to be sad anymore. You know, I, I was never a sad, closed off person. I was always very energetic and bubbly and extra and over the top and feathers and rhinestones and glitter. And, and I just backed off of that so much because I just didn't care. And, and a, a friend of mine was like, you know, so much of yourself has been lost. Like you have to start working back to getting to yourself. And, and it was in that moment that I realized how much of myself I had really lost in the whole situation with Ryan. Um, so from there I started a business. Um, it was something that he and I had spoke of before he had passed. Um, and, and money that I was left is what I used So Ryan is basically the reason why I was able to start my dream career and and my dream company, you know? So I think it was unintentionally his way of taking care of me. Um, (laughs) Like in, in trying to find the silver lining of things, you know, um, that would have been him. That would have been him. The way you have described him, he defined himself by providing for you. Mm -hmm. So I think you're not so far off that, yeah. That you that you take that with with this bittersweet smile. It uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of Ryan in the things I do every day. Um, 
and, and in my business and stuff like, you know, I, I eventually want to do a scholarship, um, for dancers and things like that. I, I started a dance competition. I grew up in that world. Um, you know, and he was so supportive of, of all of that. And, um, you know, from that and, and kind of the outreach that had started to happen with my own network, um, I decided I was going to create an additional project, I guess we could call it, um, called Story to Glory. Um, and that's basically an event, an event, a website in the works. I'm not really 100% sure what it's going to be, um, <laughs> but it's, it's an area where women who have survived anything, um, whether it's abuse, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's something that is an outside force or an internal force, you know, you got through it and you used it to fuel the fire to get you thriving, you know, and, and kind of like the Phoenix coming up out of the ashes, you know, like I, I, you have two options. You can let this completely deplete you and ruin you and define you, or you can take it and, and let it fuel you and create something possible because of that person. And, and I chose the latter of the two and I'm fortunate enough to have a phenomenal support group as far as family and friends and, you know, significant other and, and my parents are godsends. Um, you know, so it's just, it's trying to find the light in all of darkness. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Just give that one moment. We've had some interesting, funky audio for just a second there, but it seems to have settled. Okay. Uh, we had we had a, uh, just it was just a second, so it's all cool. It's so beautiful to hear you saying that because what I sense and hear there is that you have come to terms with that part of your journey, with that past, and that this peace now has turned into a ball of energy inside you that is driving you forward. And that is Absolutely. a beautiful, beautiful energy. You are now doing a lot of work to connect with people who have been in your shoes. Mm -hmm. You uh, are not a girl who has ever been tempted with the drugs or the alcohol, but your experience with Ryan made you such an expert and your voice is rarely heard out there. The voice of the significant other, the voice of the, the loved ones that are suffering because they have to watch people like me doing the stupid things that we do when we are under the addiction. It is so refreshing to hear you being out there and fighting the stigma of addiction, fighting the the perception of people out there it literally it's one it's one part of my book where i actually write down just the list of 
of the things I have heard what people thought about addicts. Ah, it's all their own choice. It's all their own fault. They are all, ah, it's, it's no, no, they all need to be locked away. They, and there is so much bullshit of absolutely poorly informed people with such a conviction of mm-hmm. their own, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very hard for me to express that without using very strong swear words. <laughs> and I try to, and nowadays I try to hold back there a little bit. So mm-hmm. sorry guys, it's, if I can't find the right words, it doesn't mean that I can't understand, uh, that I don't come out with the uh, English words. It is purely that I try to keep it more or less clean on this channel. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, that is where still my anger comes out. And I'm, so grateful that you are doing that, that you're trying to shift perceptions out there. So what, what do you do now? So what, how can people learn more from you? I know like, like me, you are new in this game of trying to change paradigms, change, change beliefs. So we are both starting out in our, uh, our channels, our, our social media. Uh, where are you going? Where are you now? Where can people uh, click onto to meet more of Samantha Tyrone? Uh, well, uh, as I had mentioned, you know, story to glory is something that is in the works. Um, so, Hopefully by the end of the summer, uh, by the end of the summer, I won't say hopefully because then I'll get it done. Um, <laughs> by the end of the summer, Story to Glory will be a functioning website and there'll be more about my story and the stories of a lot of other people. Um, it's going to be a great place for women, especially in business, but there'll be aspects of it for men um, to be in. Uh, success tips, networking. Start again, the same sentence again, funky audio. Um, Story to Glory will be a great resource for networking, education, support. Um, But for right now, everything that I do is kind of filtered through my personal stuff. Um, So as we spoke earlier about me being on Facebook as Samantha Enerit, E N. E-N-O-R-I-T. It's so hard to spell backwards unless you really think about it. Um, And then I'm very active on Instagram, Samantha underscore Tyrone, two six um, for my birthday. Uh, And, uh, you know, everything that I do from my dance competition to Story to Glory once it gets up and running to any of the other things that I'll be doing. um, I'm actually going to be co-hosting a podcast in the fall. Um, for just everyday kind of things. Um, it'll be once a week, uh, but it'll be something really fun to just, again, build that re- uh, relatability to different things and just let people know that they are not alone, they do not have to struggle alone, and that they have someone who can help guide them or at least give a tip or you know, something just to say, you know, it's going to be okay. Just keep pushing through. You got this. That's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Samantha, it's, it's so great to see you 
planning and creating all these these outlets of hope so that those people who find themselves in a similar situation as you have been that they can can interchange ideas and and uh, get some hope and get some ideas where to go to speaking of which uh, there are already places out there uh, things like Alanon and for those viewers or listeners that don't know what that is the AA groups are there where 12 steps are being taught to addicts themselves and where addicts can be honest and find mentors and sponsors. So that's an AA group. Mm-hmm. And Alanon was created uh, for the spouses, the relatives that want to help their their loved ones who are in the AA and who want to learn more and get to know the, the, the tools that their husbands or, or wives getting taught with regards to where they go so that the journey is not a complete disconnect. And the Al-Anon is that for the wives in general terms, there's also um, Al-A-Teen, which is specifically for the teenagers uh, involved and and the teenagers of alcoholic families. So very, very good moves, very uh, good ideas. But as with everything, there is not one unique answer uh, and, and some people like them some people love them or hate them how did you did you get involved did you go to such a group or what was your journey i did i um i joined naranon i bought the book i bought the workbook i sought out a sponsor um i was very passionate about i'm not going to ask you to do anything i wouldn't do myself Um, so if I thought a book would help him, I would read it too. Um, we did gratitude journals. We did all kinds of things. If I listened to a podcast or a song that resonated with me, I shared it with him. You know, like I wanted to let him know wholeheartedly that I supported the journey that he was on and that I was choosing every day that he chose to stay clean. I was choosing to stay with him, you know, and, and we were in this together. Um, so I, joined Naranon, um, and I actually went to a meeting the day before he had left, um, and then just a few days later had passed away. Um, and it was in that I felt very related to. Um, it was great for support. It was great for um, that sense of community it was great to know that there were other people. It sucked to know that there were people going through what I was going through, but it was also that thing where there were people who had it so much worse. Um, and, and I found comfort in the group temporarily um, after he passed. And I was just like, I can't, I can't stay in this headspace you know, and, and this is not a knock to anybody. This is just, I know everybody handles things differently. Um, you know, where, where Ryan had just died a few days ago, these people had lost members of their family 20, 30, 40 years ago. And that wound was so fresh. And I just said, I have to heal. I can't, I can't, I can't carry this for decades to come. So I said, this was great help. I'll always recommend it as a starting point. Um, 
you know, and go from there. But I did a lot of self-education. I read a lot of books. Um, I read a lot of books for people in addiction. Um, I Googled a lot. I sought out people who were in recovery and, and asked, I, I mean, I had hour long conversations with his personal sponsor. Um, I met through different, I met people within his, his past who sat down and, and just let me know what Ryan was like 20 years ago. Um, and it, it brought a lot of different types of closure. Um, and then, you know, I found people who got me through it that I had never met in person. I mean, I had one friend who I'd met in a network. We went to high school together, but we never hung out. Um, and she's a great part of the reason alongside my best friend, why I got through this, you know, an old teacher of mine helped me out. Like it was just so important to have those people, like as important as it is when you're in recovery to have that support system, it's equally as important to have that system when you're with someone in recovery. You don't want someone to be down your neck. Well, why haven't you left yet? Why haven't you this? What, you know, they just don't get it, you know? So self-education, Naranon, um, a friend of mine actually out in New Jersey in the States had pointed me in the direction of this amazing organization called Hope Sheds Light. Um, so uh, I haven't delved too far into um, what they offer, but I do know that they have a ton of resources um, and they, they are able to help a lot of families. So that's something that, you know, I'll be using um, in the future. And that's actually one of the organizations that story to glory is going to donate to once we are able to have events, um, because, you know, COVID kind of destroyed a lot of plans. Um, but hope sheds light will, will definitely be one of the first organizations that story to glory donates to. And, you know, just continually continuing to push their message and, and spread awareness. But I did the book. I read the book. I did the journals. I did the sponsor thing. I I did it, and uh, it worked for a little bit. It helped. I won't say that it worked because I, I think everybody goes to do things their different ways. But um, it definitely aided in a lot of things uh, in in closure and moving forward. But a lot of my closure came from just self-development, um, listening a lot to podcasts, listening a lot to live speakers, going to, um, different conventions for self-care, for self-love, reaching out to people. Um, I'm part of some amazing, amazing Facebook communities, um, like the one that we met in and just sharing stories and sharing experiences and helping one another really is, is the best way that I know how to, to keep pushing forward. And again, I love what you said, because you, you did the work. You didn't just talk the talk. You actually walked the walk. You actually went and actively sought out people that could assist you, people from whom you could learn, podcasts that gave meaning to your suffering and to your loss. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing what you have done there. You you mentioned that there were people sitting in the Naranon with 24 years of suffering who where the wound was still as fresh 
And that is the same as, as what I call white knuckling in AA, when people are sitting there and there are still every day, they're at stage one, two, and three, uh, that they're admitting that they're powerless to their addiction, and but they're never going anywhere further. Because they're just white knuckling it, they're just they're, It's like like uh, Groundhog Day. The the same day happens again and again for twenty five years. And for Christ's sake, no, this is not what life is about. So therefore, if you if you want to move on, let me rephrase that. You need to move on. It is okay to grieve. And it is okay to take time out after such an event because your life has been paused. Literally, someone pressed a pause button and you need to figure out, wow, what has just happened? And that will take time. That is not just half an hour. And that is not just, you know, this is you are broken because you have gone through some very traumatic experience if you have lived with a person in active addiction. That is one of the biggest challenges, the hardest lives you can imagine. You need to take your time out, but then you need to heal. And for that, you need to listen to people like Samantha, who has been there, done that, has got the scars to prove it, but now is crawling back from the abyss. She is out there actively changing her life, being grateful for every second of the day and making the most out of her life with an energy that she probably never thought she had. <laughs> Whilst there was the, the bubbly, dancey kind of girl out there. Yeah, that's cool. There was a lot of energy there, no doubt. But that energy was was like a, I don't know, like a firecracker, I guess. <laughs> you just light it and it bounces here and there and everywhere. Um, and now you are a Polaris missile. You have got far more energy and that energy is focused like a laser beam forward. And that makes you a very astounding woman. Well, thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm getting tongue-twisted over here. Um, <laughs> it's just, I'm so glad that I get to meet people like you. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy and cathartic. And, you know, Ryan was this big, tall, bald tattooed guy and you know <laughs> it's, it's a little freaky there's like a little tiny resemblance there with the bald i don't know if you have tattoos or not no, but no no i didn't i didn't go this way <laughs> yeah, no, wait wait for another trauma i might change <laughs> he was wrist all the way up his chest and all the way down the other arm so <laughs> but um you know i I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to, to share a little piece of my myself and my story with Ryan. Um, and, and I really think what brings me the most comfort in the whole thing is that people know, you know, what a human Ryan was above all things, you know, and, and despite how he died or where he died or 
his history, you know, he was one of the greatest people I'll ever meet. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Samantha, thank you so, so, so much for coming on onto my show. Uh, it was a deeply humbling experience for me. And I so wish you all the luck with your endeavors. Let's stay in touch. Let's Absolutely. see how we further can collaborate and make this world a little bit a better place. Just one interview by the other and after the other. Uh, one chat leads to another chat, leads to another idea, another vision. And before you blink, people have worked together to create something really great. And that's what this world needs, especially right now. So no, I couldn't agree more. Samantha, I wish you all the best and thank you so much for coming. Thank you And so all much. you guys out there, take care of yourself, look after yourself and live this life to the fullest every single second. Life is too short. Go out there, define what you want to be when you grow up and then work towards it. Have fun all. Look after yourself, guys. Bye, Samantha. <laughs>